Welcome back, friends. It is summertime, and that means 5K, 10K road racing season, all comers track meets, and base training for fall marathons and cross country. In mile 32 of the Seconds Flat Running podcast, we rank our top three training runs we could not live without, the ones that you can use at any time of year or any phase of training the indispensable workouts we would go to if we could only pick three forms of running for the rest of our competitive lives. Benjamin, welcome into Mile 32. Thanks for having me. How are you, bud? Dude, I'm good, and I feel so ready to tackle this subject because this year I have done three types of runs, which is a step up from last year. I thought you were going to say you've run three times, so you actually took (laughs) it to another level. There were five times, but... You look tan, rested, well-groomed. I wish this episode (laughs) was broadcast live and video for everyone, because you look fantastic, man. You, You feeling good? Man, I feel wonderful. Got a race coming around the corner, I hear? Yeah, the best damn leftovers 5K in Safety Harbor, Florida. Looking to set a world record or, you know, finish. Yeah. Whichever one happens, I'll be grateful. I'd say one of the two. I think you're going one of the two. Thank you. This race sounds like something they would do like the day after Thanksgiving to Oh, like race, leftover yeah, food? Race yeah. for the leftover cranberries. What What's the story behind it? How to get the name? So it's sponsored by runsignup.com, mm-hmm. and they host in time like a bunch of races throughout the country. So the idea is they have all this surplus of T-shirts and race memorabilia, and so they give that out at registration. You get to choose your T-shirt. And uh, I had my girlfriend go register for me and pick up the T-shirt, she got me a cool one from New Orleans with a sugar skull on it. Very so. neat. That's a great idea. I love uh, sometimes at races when they'll have the like vintage shirts that they haven't sold, leftovers from the past, you know, that they're they're trying to get rid of from the past races. But that's really neat to bring them in from races all over the country, places you've never been. Yeah, I wasn't even going to do it. And then I heard about the t-shirt thing and I was like, please, I'm going to sign up. Go pick me a cool t-shirt. So you primed, you ready to run. What's the course look like? The course is like a little lollipop loop. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty flat from what I've been told. I mean, it is Florida. As is life near the beach in Florida. Yeah, it should be nice and hot, but uh, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've gotten plenty of practice in that heat here this week, that's for sure. Before we get into our top three training runs, this is I'm excited about this because I... I get asked this question, and it's actually where the idea came from. Someone who is a listener, actually in person, asked me if I could only do a couple things in training, if I had to prioritize just a couple things, what would they be? And that got me thinking because my immediate thought is to prioritize like 15 different things. And we have to be able to distill down. And we've talked about a lot of the non-running things, actually. Like, one of the things I respond with immediately when asked what's really important to make me a better runner is rest, right? Yes. Sleep. That's, That's so significant. But for this episode, we will dial in on three things that we have ranked in order that we're going to compare our lists of what we value most. Before we do that, it is track season, and we haven't talked as much this year about NCAA outdoor track and field, and we are less than a week away from the NCAA championships, June 5th through 8th, so starting middle of next week in Austin, Texas this year. We are not in Eugene. They are remodeling Hayward Field, the the new and improved, as they say, Hayward Field. It'll be ready, hopefully, for the world championships coming up in two years. This is a dynamite venue, though, to go to in Austin. That is an outstanding facility that they have. It's had a ton of energy around it lately as high school phenom Matt Bowling out of the state of Texas, who we might as well talk about for a minute here. White Lightning. White Lightning has become a YouTube sensation. He is one of the premier 100, 200, 400 meter and long jumpers 
in the country and was not a 100 meter runner till this year i did not know that yeah this is insane the strength is really considered the long jump and he is committed to university of georgia which is such a powerful field school great jumpers there absolutely and he has now become one of the fastest 100 meter runners in american high school history and if you have not seen the video it's on flow track and and other sources like that but you can probably get a access to it on just on youtube of the four by 400 meter final mm. we're talking texas state championship here okay this is not a league meet somewhere in the middle of north dakota <laughs> he is hawking down premier high school runners and huge comeback win in the four by four to win a state championship which was really cool so check that out matt matt bowling excuse me from Strake Jesuit High School in Houston has become a superstar. They actually had to get this guy security at the state championship meet because so many people wanted to be around him, get autographs from all these videos they've seen because he ran this crazy wind-aided sub-10 100-meter dash a few weeks back. And so the legend grows. We'll see what he becomes. He seems like he's handling it with a lot of maturity. And best of luck to him. He'll be somewhat local here in Athens, Georgia. So hopefully we get a chance to to go see him. From that great program that brought us another fantastic jumper, Kate Hall, U.S. Indoor Champ, who we interviewed recently. So with that crazy off-the-rails side venture, let's bring it back to what's actually happening in Austin next week. NCAA championships, which means we had NCAA regionals this past week. Jacksonville, Florida for the East prelims. Sacramento, California for the West prelims. I did not have time to catch much of this. Just caught highlights, too busy working away. But you're going to give the people the things they need to know. Just a few highlights. And let's start it out West, I think, with what the BYU distance team did. So for those who don't know, in the 10K at the NCAA Championships, there are 24 athletes who can qualify. 12 come from the West region and 12 come from the East. At the West region, the BYU men qualified six individuals for this 10,000 meter. So a quarter of the field in Austin, Texas will be in the BYU blue and white. This is unheard of. They broke the previous record for the most athletes in one event which was also BYU, mm-hmm. but was the decathlon. Oh, that's right. Yes, they did have that decathlon. So six BYU guys in the 10K, but it doesn't stop there, right? They, their they distance squad. I believe two in the 5K, one in the steeple, and one in the 1500 or something like that. That's, I think that two, it no, actually... Maybe more in the steeple. Yeah, because I think they actually had 11 qualifiers. I think it's two in the steeple, yeah. one in the 15, two in the 5K... And six in the ten. Does that add up? Yeah, that's 11. You did some incredible quick math right there. As we've said before, you doing math (laughs) can be the downfall of this program, but you handled that with grace. Thank you. 11 distance runners qualified. I would love to see how many points they can score. Like, can we get a perfect storm here? And BYU sweeps through all kind of points just on the distance events. Well, they'd have to not choke, which has seemed to be been the issue the last couple of NCAA outdoor meets for them. Oh, my. I wish them the best, but I hope Coach Stone and his staff have figured out that little blemish. So I would take it a different route with that. That was, wow, cutthroat. I mean, it's just facts. (laughs) They have the top four fastest 10,000 meter times in the country this year. Okay, so two points. One, you and I both know top four fastest almost becomes irrelevant in a championship race because the race is not going to go out in a way where it's just a time trial. See, but I think when you have six guys in the field, you want a BYU guy on top of the podium. Sure. You make it a time trial. You have number five and six go out there, hammer away AK, and drag those guys. No, I, I, I get that. But think about the settings in which collegiate distance runners tend to run their best times. 
it's not Austin, Texas in June in a college-only meet. So I just don't know that it it might not be possible to play out that way so that they can drag everybody out. But I get the strategy, and I agree with it. The next thing I would say is to go back to (laughs) you calling them. I I don't know what the quote was. I think you said that they they choked in in previous seasons, and that might be both a track and cross country based reference. I'm going to guess. Well, they did have the last three finishers in the 10,000 meter last year. (laughs) So I would, if if I were part of the BYU program, I'd look first. I'd look at it this way: one. We have solidified ourselves as so elite that when we finish, when we have, say, a cross-country team that finishes on the podium, it's not considered good enough. And there are a hundred other schools that would love to have that opportunity. Moreover, we are putting athletes in a place to get to championship meets every year. There is something incredible to be said for putting double-digit distance runners in the NCAA championship regardless of what happens this weekend. Again, because nobody else is doing it. And also for most runners, even at that elite level, you have to focus training on getting there. It can't just be assumed that you're going to make it there and then peak to win it because look at examples of guys who are not there right now, right? Give me one. In the 10K or any event? Well, I was thinking of a distance event because I'm thinking Uh, of So we have uh, Tyler Day from NAU who's ran the top time in the NCAA in the 5K, qualifies in the 10K, comes back the next day, and doesn't even qualify in the 5K. Doesn't make it, right? And that is a premier runner with championship experience from a program that you love. You would never say they've ever choked in a situation like this. So I think it is a bit of a matter of perspective. While... We might think that BYU could have done better in the past, and I'm not going to argue with that. There's a chance that that breaks free this year because what happened in the past does not define the guys who are on this team right now in this setting. Well, oh, it is the same guys from the last two years. Yeah, but they're all like 35 and still there. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you take enough missions and your red shirt, and <laughs> I have considered re-enrolling at BYU. Because you do have all your eligibility. I, think, I have all my eligibility, and I think I would not be the oldest guy on the team. But Doing this podcast doubles as a mission. It, it really does. Uh, this is community service. I, I go back to something we've said on this program about how individuals we coach or work with or advice we would give on how you look at your trajectory in competition I think that there is incredible value to looking at every meet like this as an opportunity rather than an expectation. Hmm. What you are putting on BYU is an expectation because you think they should have done better. And I'm not going to argue with that. But I don't think anyone inside the program in Provo wants to take this as what expectations are other people putting on us. I think you have to have a shift internally and say, what an incredible opportunity that we have to go prove ourselves this time. Oh, absolutely. And have that internal locus of control rather than what everybody else thinks should happen. Yeah, and I just said that from a viewpoint of a cynic. Of course, Um, I know. And I hope BYU goes two through eight at Nationals. Mm -hmm. I really hope they do. But I'm hoping our boys from Furman... Aaron Templeton yeah. and Frank Lara pull off the one-two finish at Nationals. Yeah, we got some locals in, excited about that. And BYU's, that's a heck of a program. But you're right. At some point, there's going to be a breakthrough. It's just, when does it finally happen? Yeah, and I, I hope it happens for them this year. Yeah. Um, what about a story coming out of the East? Yeah, so the story in the East is the men's 110 hurdles. Mm-hmm. We saw Grant Holloway of Florida uh, run a NCAA meet record. The regional meets are considered prelims, so mm-hmm. they fall into the category of the national meet That's when it right. comes to records. So he uh, finished with a time of 13.10. But what's crazy, because this is expected of Grant at this point, he's just been at this high level and almost a professional status. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, you would consider him in a very, very select group for the best American shot in the Olympics 2020 in the 110 hurdles. Definitely. Right. But for me, the real story is Daniel Roberts from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He uh, ran 13.13 in the same event. Three one-hundredths of a second. Yep. That's insane. Super close. Grant even said in his post-race interview that he's going into Austin with the viewpoint that he is the underdog. Mm. And that excites me. And he has not been in that place very often. And I think it'll be fun to see mentally where that takes him. And I, I don't know this, so this I'm asking you. Mm-hmm. Do you know like the overall meet workload for Grant Holloway versus Daniel Roberts? Like what events they both qualified in? That is a good question. I uh, we'd have to look back because historically Grant Holloway has been a, a horse. Yes. In in championship meets because you can see him in the hurdles, the jumps sprints relays they have loaded up with him and given that florida is once again in national title contention just as they were indoor and just as they've been in previous years i'm not sure how much we'll see him next week but i expect we're going to see a lot of him yeah and grant just listening to interviews with him and how much he values his coach mike holloway Mm -hmm. he would rather finish second in all of his events if it meant florida winning the team title than winning any individual race just one more reason that we are unabashed fans. We're not going to hide it. Grant, oh, yeah. Grant Holloway is he's just great for the sport. Best so, thighs in the game. Uh, well, second best. There's somebody Ooh. sitting at this table that deserves consideration. Uh, Dane left. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, again, late next week in Austin, Texas, at the facility at the University of Texas there for the NCAA Championships. We mentioned some some runners from Furman. They had multiple runners yeah. qualify. Got to give a shout-out to Chrissy Gear and Gabrielle Jennings in the 3K steeple mm-hmm. and Ryan Adams running in the 1500. Ryan Adams, good Ohio boy in yeah. the 1500, so excited to see that this week. Let's transition now, though, into our topic du jour. The three runs for training that we could not live without. We're going to rank order these from number one down. I'm going to give the floor to you first. I would like to know what training mechanism you consider the most significant that in a year-round cycle, you know, you might take some time off after a, a marathon or or a half marathon, or in your case, you might take some time off before, before the marathon. <laughs> but I, I tend to follow a more traditional training style where I run a, a hard race, and depending on how I feel, there's a few days to a week or so off. And other than that, these are the things that I would want to keep in almost universally. We'll try to define them and give you some variations and figure out ways they could fit into where you are as a runner. Benjamin, what is number one? Number one for me would be the long run. We are locked and loaded together on this one. I went long run as well, number one. So let's share some thoughts here. Why don't you go ahead then with with maybe why you put it here and what you value in the long run? Sure. So from a physiological standpoint, it teaches your cardiovascular system to transport oxygen a little bit more efficiently by being out there for the longer duration because you're doing it under more distress because you've been out there longer. Yeah. So simple science stuff that we've talked about, like increased capillary density, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And then... If you go back to third grade science class, you learned about mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, and your body starts producing more of that after, or gets a benefit to where it learns to start producing more of that after going 90 minutes in duration on average. That's Mm -hmm. just a round number. So you're getting stronger, you're learning to transport oxygen better. And then for me, from a psychological standpoint, it makes me feel tougher. Puts a little hair on my chest. Yep. And then it's a good place for you to just kind of sort things out. It's almost like a meditative run. Yes. That's really good. I had, you put kind of three basic premises there of the, like, aerobic benefit, the mental benefit, and what you're getting at duration benefit. I am intrigued that you learned that in third grade. 
That feels early. Did you we didn't do like color in the cells and like? Man, did I, I always would get in trouble for what colors I would paint. <laughs> Maybe I was just a little slow on this. This felt like that was like middle school, but I don't know. Good for you. Yeah. That, it's the South Carolina public school system. I tell you, we what. may be ranked 49th, but we are first when it comes to cellular biology. Just imagine <laughs> the kids in whatever state is 50th. Uh, they're struggling on this. Who is that? I don't know. The other thing I would add is the benefit of impacts on tendons, joints, and muscles, right? Because you have to toughen them up, if you will, to that prolonged running you might get in a distance race. So if you're training for a half marathon or a marathon in particular, I would add that to the list. Long, what that means is different for everyone. Yes. And so I like that you use 90 minutes. I do consider that a nice time duration cutoff. And I like to measure this by time. I think particularly for less experienced runners, but I will often just use time myself rather than a specific mileage because 90 minutes can mean a lot of different things, right? Based on how quick you're moving. And you need different things within that 90 minutes. Okay, we're going to come back to that okay. a little bit because I agree with that. So let's just pause on that for a moment. How often are you doing this in a year-round basis? Many people believe different things. Um, pers- well, I want to know what you believe. Yeah, personally in college, we did it weekly. Yeah. But I think what works best for my body is like a 10-day cycle. Okay. I just jotted some notes here and said probably every seven to ten days is pretty good for most people so we're on the same page and for a lot of people that seven day cycle happens just because of what works with our weekly schedule and it's the only time you can fit it in but as i've said here before i like the 10 day cycle because of what it allows you to do in between the work you can do in between the long runs and recover and get the most benefit out of the long run. Also, that 90 minutes is going to benefit the 5K and the 10K runner as well. This is not just because I first mentioned marathon and half marathon. I love in a 5K or 10K training program working up to three times race distance as a very common long run, even for someone who's a little bit younger and by younger i don't just mean age i mean training age Mm. that's the thing to consider most people who want to be competitive in a 5k who have a little bit of running experience can work to a 15k long run and they're not going to do it every week but they can pepper in stuff that's close to that throughout the entirety of the year just build up the distance if you're less experienced or you have fewer previous cycles. Like for me, it's easier to say, I'll jump in on the first long run and go back to like 16 or something. I'm just making up a number than for someone who's never run a marathon before and they're just getting ready for their first marathon. That might be too much too quick. Yeah, I really liked where you were at when you said training age. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just kind of reminds me in high school. I was a solid like 60 to 70 minutes Mm -hmm. and throughout my college career that progressed to going an hour and 50. Mm -hmm. It's really just your body adapts and needs different stresses, different stimulants, different workloads and it's something each individual needs to decide for themselves or with their coach. Yeah, Yeah, that training age thing was awesome. Okay. Yeah. So you might be 50 years old but you just started running and so to me your training age is one. But with that said, the high school senior who started the first day of seventh grade, their training age is six, and they might be able to do a lot more than the person who's 50 years old and brand new. Let's talk about some variations here. That's what you were going to jump into, because I think even if we say you can only do one thing and it's a long run... (laughs) That means so many different type of runs. Yeah, you don't necessarily just go out and run the same pace at that same long distance every week or every two weeks. What are some variations that you would immediately go to? Uh, My go-to is always a progressive long run, starting pretty slow, working down to maybe even a hair under tempo pace. Mm -hmm. Um, I like throwing random tempo sections within a long run, 
fart licking in the middle of a long run. We are too in sync tonight. <laughs> I'm used to more disagreement with you. <laughs> Excuse me. But I cannot deny your brilliance right now. It is shining. The progress, the progression long run, absolutely a favorite. And so this, again, could take different forms, but we'll, we'll simplify some ideas here. Let's say you were going out for 16 miles. I'll use that again since I mentioned it. It could be a ratio of miles that you run easy to closing harder. So, for example, it might be 3 to 1. You do the first 12 miles at your normal pace, and then you close the last four stronger. Mm -hmm. Great aerobic benefit to that. It might be that you chunk it and say, okay, over the last 40 minutes, every 10 minutes, I'm going to pick up and run faster. I like what you said about what the pace might end at if I use this method. So let's just use the 10-minute block increments that I just mentioned. You go out and you run easy for an hour, and then you're bringing it home faster for the next 40 minutes. You might take the first minute, excuse me, the first 10 minutes after an hour and work down to say your marathon pace. And then maybe the next 10 minutes we work down faster than that. We work down towards half marathon pace. And then you get to half marathon pace for the next 10 minutes, and maybe you close at a little quicker than that, maybe between 10K and half marathon pace. Or if you're feeling really good, maybe you close at 10K pace for the last mile. Hypotheticals, but a good example of how this could evolve. Before I do that, though, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject that I would start with the kind of time on feet to long run before I started experimenting with these others. And yes. I would do that myself, too, to get back into a swing of just being out there for X amount of time. Definitely. So... Progression could be one of the next models that I would go to. Yeah, let's learn to long run well, and then we can add some different flavors to it. That's right. You mentioned putting some tempo segments in there. I like that. One of the ones that I think is very simple that you can easily use is like a steady kind of tempo where you're, you're cruising. It's something you feel like you can hold for a pretty long time, but you're challenging yourself a little bit. It's an effort, a feel-based kind of long run. When we did our series on the long run, I mentioned this for some of the faster runners, something in the like 90% of marathon pace range is really good for this. So if you were a, a strong marathoner running in like the 240 range at six minutes a mile, Running this at like 6.30 would be great for mm. you. You're a, you're a three-hour marathoner, or that's your goal. You want to break three hours. So for a lot of younger people, that means I'm trying to get to Boston. Those folks have to run a little bit under seven minutes a mile in a marathon setting. So maybe I'm trying to run in the 7.30 to 7.40 range consistently for a long time within a long run. I recommend you look back to some previous episodes if you want more specifics of long-run workouts. We went into some great examples that we like. Just make sure they fit where you are in your training. The last thing I would say about the long run is be certain to employ some cutbacks to help regenerate and recover, If you're, particularly if you're less experienced. It's hard to just keep building longer and longer and longer every week without starting to break down. Okay, take that stair-step approach where it looks like you're climbing up, then you level off, then you climb up, then you level off. You might even dial back a little bit, and then you make the next step forward. Well, since I went first, how about we let you start with your number two? I I like when you keep going. You want me to go ahead? I want you to go ahead. Okay. Because I feel like you're just copying my list at this point. That's true. I did not actually write a list down. I was just going to base this on whatever you said. Did you draw a picture of SpongeBob on your notepad? Those are square pants you are looking at right there. Ah, okay. My number two would be hill work. Get out of here. I'm here. I'm staying. Go home. Where was this on your list? This is number two. Was it number two for you? Okay. Now, are you just copying me now because you don't have a list? Okay. I'm going hills number two because I cannot imagine a better place to work on both strength and form. Mm. 
The hill reinforces both good and bad habits. So you better learn the good ones if you want to do a hill well. Yes. You have to have good knee lift. You have to work your arms straight back through. To have eyes on a sight line so that you don't buckle in your form. This is a reminder I give a lot of the athletes I work with. I did this this morning on some hills here in town. I have uh, an athlete I'm working with who got challenged to a distance race by a younger guy at work. And it's a really hilly course that they're on. And so he said, let's go to the hills in the park and just refresh me on some things. And one of the things that I, I focus on is eye line a target for your eyes at the same grade as the hill Mm. because we so often when we are running up a hill what do we do benjamin with our eyes we look straight down we look straight down you give a perfect answer thank you you were an incredible student in science with both mitochondria and also hill running because we look straight down and when we look down what happens with the rest of our form we crumple. That's exactly right. It, try to look straight down while going up a hill and lifting your knees up and see what happens with your midsection. Your butt's going to stick out and you lose everything that's the strength. You kind of just fold over. And all power is lost. All the power is lost because you drive through the glutes and the hamstrings to create that power. And by folding over, you kind of push your lungs back in. Not back in. Your lungs weren't hanging out. But you know what I mean. You kind of condense, and they're not able to expand as easily as when you're standing tall and looking forward. That's right. It's easier breathing. If your lungs are hanging out, that's a problem that we don't have an answer for. You need to go to someone. Well, we do have an answer. Put them back in. Put them back in. You're right. Actually, we had the answer. I don't know why I ever doubted us. So it reinforces these things. You have to have them. And you kind of exaggerate them on a hill, but it puts you in a good spot. Right, where you're driving with your arms straight back through, your eyes are up, your knees are lifted, you have to have good form to win on a hill, and then you can translate that onto the flat. It becomes that much easier to translate. So I'm with you on hills. Um, and hills are so versatile. Yes. Depending on what type of hill you're doing, you're getting a different benefit. Yeah, so let's go into some variations then. What are? Can you give some examples? Sure. Uh, there's. We may have different terms for what these things sure. are what i refer to as short speed and power hills okay which could be like 30 to 70 meters in duration and they're basically all out we're driving as much as we can we're trying to build really our butt Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, just generating power yeah sorry to interrupt there oh no it's sweet i agree with you on this i I just call this hill sprints it's not truly all out and it's not truly a sprint because you're going uphill right and we've discussed this before you can't really do true speed going uphill true speed is done on flat or even perhaps on a slight downhill grade very very slight be careful with that one but i think in the range of i'll use something different and i'll go back to time rather than distance Mm -hmm. and say we might cap these at like eight seconds right okay and you are running really hard and then I like long recoveries on this. I want to walk back down, catch my breath. Mm-hmm. This is not a continuous run to this. The value is in the power that we create. So I'm with you on hill yeah. sprints. And personally, I have a really weak posterior chain. So for these, I'm doing full recovery. <laughs> I don't want to risk getting hurt. I'm trying to get the benefit. And by choosing to do that, I know I'm limiting the workout because I'm not necessarily getting a great big aerobic benefit by taking these longer breaks. But that's not the point. Exactly. And so when doing hills, it's super important to know why you're doing the type of hill you're doing. That's right. You could do this hill with a goal of creating power and do very little actual work, and it could take a long time Mm -hmm. to do the workout. This is like going to sprint practice, right? (laughs) From my experience coaching both sprinters and distance runners, we don't understand each other. Sprinters look at distance runners and say, you're crazy. How can you run that far and do that much? They say, you're crazy. Distance runners say, you're lazy. Yes. Why is your practice so short or why is there so much rest in between? Because rest is the value in the sprint work. 
each group is just doing what is appropriate for the skills they are trying to foster. Long rests and recovery with short bouts of power are essential to sprint development. And that's more what this looks like. Okay, so we got our hill sprint or whatever we want to call that. What else might you use? Well, let's go to one of your favorite. Let's. Tempo hills. Yes. And I'll let you take over. Okay, I'll take over. I love a, a long grinding hill repeat with what we might call a tempo style of effort. And really it is about effort. It's not about pace here. It's that comfortably hard kind of pace on a long uphill. I'll give a, uh, a quick shout to always friend of the show, our boy Max. He and I used to work on a, a kind of dirt gravel long hill in the park that was, it would be like a three to four minute uphill. Oh, wow. Not a severe grade. In some parts it got a little bit, but it was fairly gradual and jog back recoveries. So it would take four or five minutes to get down, but you might do four by three or four minutes of this. This is great, in my opinion, cross country or marathon base work. Uh, a lot of elite Africans will use long, continuous, steady hill climbs as part of their program in marathon development. So I love that one. What yeah. else? I don't know if this type of hill would fall into that same category in your mm-hmm. opinion. I don't even really have a term for it. I just Make have a specific up. road that I do this. Yeah. Good old Altamont. Yeah. Paris Mountain, mm-hmm. two and a half miles to the top. Just running up that, there is such an aerobic benefit, and there's a strength element to it too by having to hold your form that long. The only downside to that is having to run down and having that impact. You've um, got to be really careful with that. We're not going to get into downhill running now, yeah. but there's an art to that, and ma- maybe we'll do more that with that. That might be a good add-on for an yeah, episode. because um, particularly some road courses where you need to be able to handle downhill running i would put that in the same category let's put that in kind of our long hill that's probably my favorite hill yeah yeah that's good i also like what i call shorter repeats i consider these in the 20 to 30 second range with this i'm doing steady effort up it might be say 5k effort and then a jog back recovery and it's a continuous Mm -hmm. cycle it's the staple of high school cross country. Absolutely. And and what you could do if you're working with high school program here, but it also works just the average guy trying to train for a 5K, Definitely. is build this and say you go out for 8 by 20 seconds hill, and then maybe it's 8 by 30 seconds, or maybe you go to 10 by 20 seconds. You could stagger your sequence. I like this a lot too. If I get a longer hill, I might go up 20 seconds, back down. 30 seconds back down, 40 seconds back down, and vary the length of the hill even on the same one. And then what I consider to be probably my favorite now of these options is the more medium repeat, something in the 60 to 70 second range, where it's a really, it's a it's a push, but it allows you to still work with good pace. I might work these at like 10K pace, 10K effort, excuse me, myself. And then a jog back recovery. So something like 10 by 60 seconds uphill is a great workout. Uh, The other way that I'll use this is on a circuit. Say you have a loop that has a set of hills and I'll Uh, almost make it a fart lick and push the uphills and then just control the flats or the downs and push each uphill. Yeah. One of my favorite workouts is there's a 600 meter loop in Cleveland Park Mm -hmm. and you go up for 200 meters, say 5k or mile effort. And then jog back down this other side, which is a wood chip trail. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the bottom, we would always add on a little 200 meter flat portion, which we would tempo. So we were tempoing into going hard up the hill and then relaxing back down. Yeah. And, And I love variations that go from hills to tempos to hills and back and forth, but... I won't get into it because I was told I could only have yes. three <laughs> things that I could do here. But with the, what you presented, you could also do these like in a saddle kind of method where if you're in a place that has two hills back to back or at an intersection mm-hmm. that you can use, you could go up one and back down it and then do the other side. At James Quattlebaum, his favorite workout in high school, his coach called it U-Hills, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you were just describing. Yeah. And he was pretty quick. He's doing all right. Music City Distance Carnival for that guy this weekend. 
great event out there. It'd be fun to, to watch if you got a flow track subscription. Check yeah. that out this weekend. People will ask me, I don't know where to go to do hills. What's the best? What should it look like? If you're not sure how steep your hills should be, the safe bet is think about what an exit on the highway looks like. That grade is fantastic. Straight money. You're safe with that. Straight money. Now, what about the person who says, I don't have hills? I've been there. I lived in Florida on the beach for a while. What do you use? A bridge. Bridges. Great example. I had a bridge to the next island that I could do at like 25 seconds that had a nice grade on it. And then we had a big, long bridge uh, over the bay that was more of a longer grinding uphill. And it was the, the grade was different on either side. So you could attack from either side depending on what you wanted. Sometimes, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I, I was also going to add that sometimes folks who are in a really flat area, like you're in the Midwest and it's pancake flat, you might be able to go to a reservoir, something like that, at a dam oh, and wow. use that as well. I've done Very that cool. too and known coaches who do that also. So that's an option. There's There tends to always be a hill somewhere near most people. Yes. And if there isn't, uh, you can do what my dream team, NAU, does with their guys treadmill hills mm-hmm. very controllable you get to set the grade the pace you can get exactly the workout you want out of it the only thing you have to worry about is the slow buildup. Um, a lot of people will stand on the side and then hop on super dangerous only do that if you feel very confident train veterans only yes yeah i just hate the treadmill so i never use that the one. Dreadmill. I, I try to keep it outside but the, my only word of caution on the use of hills is be aware of past injury. If you're someone who's had like an Achilles issue, this might not be the best workout for you to employ. Okay, let's wrap it up. Number three, go ahead. This one is all psychological for me. Okay. The easy run. Yes. I mean, you build camaraderie because you're able to do it with almost anyone. It's why most of us fell in love with running, was just getting out the door and going and releasing endorphins. So I didn't include the easy run because I thought of it from a more like workout style perspective. But I guess if I included the easy run, I probably have to move it to the top because you have to recover in between these things. There is no way that if we were telling you only three things to do, you would just rotate among hills and, and but long But I feel runs. like some people might. Well, there is that kind of like warrior mentality that... Sure. And to those people, I would say, stop doing that. Right. I, you do tell easy. people. Yeah, I, I say it all the time. It. Yeah. Looking at you, Kyle Kugler. <laughs> <laughs> I want the easy run more than anything else. And if you do really hard workouts... You need a lot of easy days. So one of the things we were going to talk about today was Diamond League was today at Stockholm. And I just, I don't even want to talk about it because they didn't even broadcast the 10K, which had a bunch of heavy hitters in it. And some other races maybe didn't live up to expectations. But I will say this, Julian Wanders, who we've talked about a lot, in the lead up posted his last big workout and he uses this canova style special block where they'll do two workouts in a day where they'll have a hard workout both a.m and p.m within one day and that's a really difficult thing and i am not necessarily recommending it to the listener but what i am saying is after he does that there are a bunch of easy days even for a guy at his level because you can't just repeatedly drive your body into a hole without recovering so you probably win what is the most important thing and that's the easy run but i also like what you said about it get out there and enjoy it with people be out with your friends just have a mental release of energy think when we interviewed jd last week we used the reference of running almost becoming your daily journal collect your thoughts out there I wish I actually had my journal with me sometimes when I run because I think of things that seem so brilliant to me and then I can't quite recreate them when I get back, right? You lose it just a little bit. But but the easy run is maybe most of any category what we were designed to do. I went with strides. Oh, yes. So good. The alarms are sounding because that topic is fire. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) strides are my number three and strides are something a lot of people know are out there 
but don't know exactly what they look like or how to employ strides. So we will try to demystify it a little bit for you. Most importantly, this is a method for keeping a distance runner in touch with speed. Hills do that to some degree. These They're complementary things, but again, because hill is uphill, it's not true speed. If Frank Shorter famously said speed work, or excuse me, that hill, hill work, Frank Shorter famously said that hills are speed work in disguise. There it is. I knew you'd get it. Yes, and that is true to a degree because there are plenty of guys who used them to help create a kick at the end guys who maybe just needed the strength that came with them. Modern example is I've heard Tom Tinman Schwartz say that adding in hill efforts was critical in the advancement of Sam Parsons right now and the jumps he's made. In Charlie Spedding's autobiography, he talks about before his 84 Olympic marathon medal coming to the United States and training with Greg Meyer and everything changed for him once they started doing hill repeats. They worked this hill where they had a good hill and then it turned and they had to accelerate again up another hill. And he said it was just a game changer for him. And so it, it's creating strength and power which are not exactly the same as speed. And, and the stride is trying to do that true neuromuscular development, keep you in touch with speed, there is ample recovery. We don't want this to be an aerobic development session. And it's not really all out speed. It's something approaching that. So what does it look like? I like 15 to 20 seconds of running where we have good form combined with some elements of sprint mechanics. Higher knee lift than usual for the distance runner. We tend to shuffle along, right? We're picking our knees up a little more on this. We are applying force at the foot strike. Our eyes are locked past the finish mark. Upper body relaxed. Arm drive. All those kind of things. Think about the sprinter. Watch the 100 meter video on YouTube whose jowls are shaking because he's so relaxed up top. <laughs> I cannot believe you just did that. Yeah, that's a keeper, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you do it one more time? No, Let I me cannot. open Snapchat. No, can't do it. Okay. Um, so then the next question I get is how fast do I do these? I think about somewhere like in the mile pace range is really good for this. That can change depending on the time of year. So there's variations in strides too. Maybe as we're nearing a race, we might do them at race pace so that we, again, just kind of ingrain that, that muscle memory and help provide a feeling of snap and confidence before a race. Key here is recovery in between a stride. I like at least a minute of easy walking. I do this on a turf field and I will run the sidelines for my strides and I don't know exactly how far it is but it's probably somewhere in the 100 meter range and then I will walk across it's a soccer field I don't even know what they call that I'm just going to call it the baseline because I'm thinking of basketball a sport I actually understand but back behind where the goal is and I will very slowly walk over to the other side and regroup and I am completely ready to go because again this is neuromuscular this is not aerobic development. So we're trying to get a little bit of pop and an ability to call on this enhanced power late in a race later on. Also, there's there's true to the, excuse me, there is truth to the, uh, you gotta turn on a different gear in a race, this can help you. And it helps just getting off the line when it's time to surge, you just have a, dis a different gear with strides. So I'm going long run, hills strides you went long run hills easy run i then bring in the caveat of yes easy runs all the time that might actually be number one we just approached it a little bit differently yeah fair pretty cool you didn't make me feel dumb this episode do i normally well just you have such better words than me. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm never intentionally trying to make you feel dumb. No, I'm just aware of your great vocabulary. <laughs> and then it comes from your smoothie, smoothie, your smooth, jazzy voice. See, you have better <laughs> words than me. 
One last thing I'll say about staying in touch with speeds by using strides is some people might replace that with like a flying 30s kind of thing where you roll into a 30 meter that's actually an all-out sprint. If you're going to go with that approach as a distance runner to keep in touch with your speed, great, but you need really long recoveries in between. Give yourself three minutes, for example, in between each one so that you can recharge that energy source and do it effectively and appropriately. And most people end up putting strides at the end of a run I or do. a workout. If you're doing those flying 30s, I might would do them before. Yes. I wouldn't want to go into that fatigued and risk like doing this all-out burst effort and being hurt because my muscles are slightly So tired. I'll add, I would not... It's not a might for me. It is a, it's a must. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. the, and that might be the whole workout. I could do a long warm up and a long cool down. Right. That's the whole workout. I do, and I'm glad you mentioned this. I do strides at the end of an easy day. And that's where I think they have the most value is on their own. They can get used with workouts also in part, just like a warm up tool too. Yeah. But, and even as a cool down tool as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you are stretching the legs out a little yeah. bit when you're doing that. That's a good point. Anything else? I think we've covered everything that's ever been written about running. Well, on that note, I guess we're shutting the show down. This will be it at mile 32. This is Dr. Sessions. <laughs> it's been a good ride. Three tools you can use for your summer training. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if you have any questions. Seconds flat podcast at gmail.com. Look forward to seeing you again next time. Everybody have a great week. And if you are a local listener, we've been building up a a fun Wednesday evening group run here from Run-In in in Greenville. We've had a bunch of guys coming out and just enjoying a a run together. we got a route that we can break off at multiple points. And then just spending some time sharing life together afterwards outside on the porch. So we'd love to have anybody local who wants to join. Head on up. We're starting to do some raffles, giving away socks and and other gear, stuff like that. And the week's coming up to people who show out for that. So we'd love to see you. And until we do, this has been Mile 32 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Have a great week.